Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional, a sales leader, or just starting out, you're going to find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. We welcome to the show today, Frank Niekamp. Frank is a successful sales leader and entrepreneur. He's led sales teams for two Fortune 500 companies, in addition to having 14 years of success leading B2B sales teams for the largest privately held flooring manufacturer in the United States. He turned that success into a thriving business, helping organizations transform their sales teams. His greatest passion right now is helping CEOs and business owners put together the pieces that are required for high-performing sales teams that produce predictable and goal-smashing results. Frank and I have a lot of fun in the conversation, so let's get started. Hey, Paul. How are you today, man? I'm doing fantastic. Frank, welcome to the show. So glad to have you. Excited to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Well, I think we got a riveting conversation going on here. One, two, that is continuing from our, our time together at the Objective Management Group Conference. So that was awesome to see you there. Yeah. What a blessing to have that summer-like weather in mid-April in yeah, Boston, walk, of all places. That that was not planned. Usually you're walking around there in, uh, in Boston. It's the end of hockey season. People are still bundled up and you're, you're freezing cold. So I'm, I'm glad the uh, new OMG, new weather. It was the first one I've been to that's actually been bright and sunny. So it was pretty awesome. Indeed. It was pretty awesome. Indeed. Well, hey, Frank, you, uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, this. And I really am excited about the opportunity to interview you. And, and you're the first sales star person on. So congratulations by that. I appreciate that, it. And we're going to get we're gonna get started with a normal question, which is, Frank, from your perspective, define sales. Wow. That's a great question. And I think one that people struggle with a lot. And at the end of the day, sales as an industry, a profession, whatever you want to call it, um, really has a lot more noble connotations if you allow it to. It's not a lot of the assumptions that people make that it's trying to manipulate or persuade somebody to buy or purchase something that they have no intention of. But really, I think in its purest form, when done extremely well, uh, sales is all about trying to help people. And it's best way possible to describe that is the customer either already has an identified need for a product or service that they've identified and they need to find the best choice and a sales process will help support and execute that. I think it's some sometimes is more often the case is the customer doesn't know that they have a problem or need. And in that particular instance, which I'll refer to as a more complex sales process, for lack of a better word, you know, the, the stakes are, are are upped in terms of the professionalism that a salesperson needs to be able to bring to the table to be able to help that customer who has no uh, has no awareness uh, of, of the fact that they have a problem or the fact that there might be a solution out there that could exist for them. 
So we let's let's talk about this gap because uh, you said something that was really interesting there, which is at the very beginning you talked about it's not what it's necessarily perceived to be in terms of persuasion and the like. And I talk with amazing, most amazing salespeople around the world. It's been a blessing to be able to do so. And not a single one of them has has said, yeah, sales, it's shmurmy, it's persuasing, it's trying to get people to give me money. Uh, it's, you know, all of the all of the negative connotations. Why is there that gap between uh, true sales professional, uh, which you label as serving and helping, and this connotation that many people have about sales? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I think as consumers... Many of us are exposed to really bad salespeople that are trying to go about executing their sales process in a completely wrong way. And I think as human beings, we naturally have a tendency to remember and recall bad experiences more than the ones that are very pleasurable. So therefore, when we're not being sold to and we're actually a part of a participant as a buyer in a really ideally executed sales process, it doesn't have that dirty, nasty feeling that we do when we go into a new car showroom mm-hmm. and get overwhelmed by maybe three salespeople. <laughs> See, I've met some really good car salespeople too. So what, that's that's a fascinating, but it is, it's what comes out. It's what uh, people say, use car sales, this, that, the other. Like, how do we help overcome that gap? How do we bridge that gap? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a good question. And I think just being naturally curious is a good starting point. I had some really good advice given to me, and I think innately, um, it really stopped me in my tracks early in my career that somebody who'd been in this sales role a long time in my company, uh, when I got started back in the early 90s, told me, you know, just make your conversation all about your customer and you're going to be very fine. Be more focused on them than you are yourself, uh, and things will work out well for you. So when I think about getting a sales conversation, started off on the right track because that's all really sales is, is a series of conversations between people. How do you execute those conversations in the best way possible in order for that to be an amazing experience for the buyer? And I think salespeople that can do that, they, they, they create raving fans, which is one of our core values at SalesStar. And uh, they really position themselves as a trusted advisor as opposed to a salesperson. I couldn't agree with you more. I've always said, well, not always, but in the past 10 years or so, I've defined the conversation as truly the core currency of business. Mm. Uh, Like I've, I've looked at, you know, studied a whole lot of uh, data uh, relative to this. So I've Mm. run a sales of the service company before coming out with membrane. So it gave me access to Troves and troves and troves of data across, uh, you know, hundreds of different uh, engagements. And the one thing that really stood out was that ability to, there was two things. One, the ability to self-lead and two, the ability to execute a business conversation mm. to do to do that continually. So how do you get people, and I want to dive into your history and your past, but how do you get people to be able to continually execute those business conversations with quality? like? Is there a secret? Is it just, is it innate? Is it natural? Is it training? What is it? Yeah, I think it really starts at the very highest level of organizations today. Um, And I think back to my own personal experience selling uh, for a manufacturer, 
all of the energy and all the time spent training, which was mostly led by the C-suite, was around product features and benefits, points of differentiation between ours versus theirs. And they spent no time investing in how to go out there and have better conversations that are customer-centric or client-focused, whatever your term is that you like to use for it. And I think when the executive office misses the importance of this, you can't expect for this to organically just to occur because of human instinct. You just wound up your sales force with 10,000 sound bites of product knowledge and technical information. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to do what I did early in my career. And that's go out there and, you know, try to win customers by talking all about yourself and your products. And you know what? Doesn't work. Really doesn't work. And today's buyers become more and more sophisticated Access to product information has been available on the World Wide Web now for more than a decade for almost any product or service you want to consume. So customers don't need salespeople to educate them on product features and benefits, which I think most of us have gotten over. You know, the clarion is you've got to invest in developing your people and their ability to have conversations. And if you're not looking at that as a strategic differentiator, or a strategic initiative for how to elevate the performance of your sales team, then you're really missing the mark. I I couldn't agree more. So let's let's dive into the background of Frank Niekamp and the history that got you to that point. So you alluded a little bit to your early on sales and manufacturing, but how how did you get into sales? How did you get started? So I actually got started and exposed to sales in a retail environment while I was still in college. Um, I was doing door-to-door sales of windows in central Ohio, which is a really great place to sell vinyl replacement windows and siding because there are a lot of old homes that are not energy efficient. And, uh, you know, I come to find out that I was very comfortable introducing myself to somebody who did not expect to have a conversation with me. I kind of enjoyed it as a somewhat of a challenge. And I was very comfortable doing that. That to me said, Hey, this is going to work. I think I can handle this and enjoy the, um, that, that initial conversation, which is the unexpected conversation I call it between a seller Mm -hmm. and a prospect. And I think it's one of the most uncomfortable conversations that, that is had in sales today that so many salespeople or people who want to be in sales avoid Mm -hmm. is the unexpected conversation. It's easy to show up for a meeting when both parties are expected to be there. You have an agenda and you know what you're going to talk about. But making that prospecting call, man, that could be difficult and scary for a lot of people. So when I, I know when I checked that box off, I kind of felt like this industry was for me, Paul. I, I know people in my life that that uh, actually structure their entire being around not not having to have the unexpected conversation right? or the uncomfortable conversation or, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't want to go to that party. I don't want to do that. No, I love that name for it too. The unexpected conversation. That's fantastic. What defines that? Like, what's the elements of it? Is it just the first one? Is it the the interrupting the interruption that makes it so awkward? Well, I think you know when you're reaching out to somebody, trying to get their attention, and they're preoccupied with whatever's going on in their life at that time. Uh, you really only have about seven to ten seconds to make a very very quick first impression. And if whatever comes out of your mouth is not resonating with them, 
in a good way, it's going to often re- result in some sort of uh, semi-conflict, you know? It's like, no, I'm not interested, or immediate rejection, or immediate, I'm pushing you away from me, I'm not pulling you closer. And, you know, when human beings are pushing each other away, uh, it can lead to a lot of, obviously, upset feelings, rejection, and emotional components that some people struggle with, to be sure, you know, and take personally. So I think that's kind of the inherent nature of why that is such a tough discipline and uh, critical conversation that has to happen, why it doesn't happen enough. So Frank finds out that he's good at at the unexpected conversation when selling when selling vinyl windows in in Ohio. Where does where does Frank go from there? So you know, graduating from the College of Business at Ohio State back in 1995, and literally was just scanning the job board for outside sales positions, and ended up in the commercial flooring industry took on a territory in upstate New York where there was never a salesperson in the history of the company, which is, you know, what they gave us out of college those days and said, here, go find some customers and sell sell a bunch of floor covering to businesses. And uh, yeah, that led to what was probably about 15, 17 years, all told of being a top performing sales producer you know, winning all the awards that you would hope to win and being on the stage for the annual sales conferences and getting to a point where, hey, you know, money was no longer a great motivator. Uh, I wanted variety after that period of time. And I, I thought that there was an opportunity based on what I learned that I could help other people. And so I wanted a sales leadership role. And you know what they say, Paul, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. That's Mm kind of how I felt within the first six months of getting promoted into a sales leadership position. While I thought I had all the answers, uh, the the frustration and uncertainty of knowing how to bring out the best in people, while there were some characteristics or traits of being a good salesperson that that could apply, many of them didn't. We've heard this before. You know, your top salespeople don't always transition into becoming great sales managers. And, uh, you know, we hear a lot of phrases like just go out, hire great people, get out of their way and let them do their job. That's what you need to do. Recruit, recruit, recruit. And then when they're not performing, hold them accountable, you know, hold them accountable to what mm-hmm. uh, was really the big question for me. And how do you do that? Uh, there were so many skills that I hadn't yet developed, Paul, that it was a very frustrating first two years, I would say. For me to be in a sales management position. And I knew there had to be a better way of going about what I did. And unfortunately for me, my boss at the time, who was an executive vice president of sales, he knew less about how to manage salespeople than I did. So he was of no help. It wasn't until the company really invested in some professional trainers and coaches who came in and worked with us over the course of a 12-month period of time that this started to come into clarity for me in a better way. you just can't hire great people, get out of the way and let them do their thing. That's going to work probably less than 10% of the time mm-hmm. if you're lucky. And, uh, you know, just learning that managing and coaching are two different things. You can't manage results. Number one was something that <laughs> I learned quickly. You can manage behavior, though. The thing that precedes results 
And that was powerful. That was a powerful concept to get my head wrapped around. You can coach people, uh, but the best way of coaching people is not telling them what to do, but, you know, learning uh, a methodology of coaching that's not that different from selling. We have a saying at SalesStar that telling is not selling. And I add to that saying by, by adding on that telling is not great selling and it's not great coaching either. Telling somebody what to do. And getting them to find their own answers is really what really great coaching looks like. And we really pride ourselves within our organization at SalesStar of having some great coaches that understand the difference between those two and how to bring out the best in people. Well, I've been I've been fortunate to meet a lot of them, and I'm, uh, I love your description of in this this two year period of going from a sale top performer to a top performer to a top leader, right? And yeah. so, two of the things that you you described there, you know, holding people accountable, managing behavior, not managing results because that's impossible, and coaching are three critical things that you that you learned what are what was the journey like to learn that like you said you brought in you brought in this sales consultant how did you learn it and then how, what were the things that really opened your eyes to saying oh yeah i need to get be a better coach and then how do you help people take that similar journey that you took yeah great question so you know when you're working with a company uh, a consultant like the company i was working for hired you know, we got introduced to some really interesting concepts that I'd never heard of before. You know, one of them was the KPI, right? <laughs> For those of us on this listening to this call, probably know what KPI means, but uh, some of you may not. It's a key performance indicator. And, you know, being able to track activity, uh, leading activities is huge. And I, I didn't think of it that way, but I actually did it on my own when I was a seller. I had a set goal or target every day for the number of meetings that I needed to obtain in my market. That's a KPI. And I also had a KPI for the number of new opportunities that would come from those meetings. And, and again, I never thought that way because I sort of just created it on my own. But when I had a coach come in and explain to me, that's what a KPI is. You never thought of it that way. But those are the types of metrics that you need to develop in your business with your teams in order to effectively manage performance the right way. And if people are performing the right amount of activity and they're still not getting the results, guess what? You got two options. You got to coach them up and make them more effective because now we have a skill set problem, not an activity problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, our formula at SalesStar is very similar to that. Once we have clarity around what it is we're trying to do, the amount of activity that we need to do, and if we're not getting the results that we want, then we can focus on effectiveness. And that really is the thing that resonates with me still to this day and in, in our model for how we go about helping develop the best in sales teams that they're capable of achieving. So it's setting what the business what the business expects as a baseline, and this is not like we're not talking rocket science, but this is this literally is helping change lives, right? But so being able to set very clearly what the business expects, and then coach, um, and that is the KPI, and that you can manage to the 
you're telling you could me you can manage to those activity behaviors, right? And then you need totally. to coach coach for effectiveness. Why does so many companies not coach for effectiveness? Like this, it's it's something that I found is extremely rare, actually. Like I've seen mm. people be able to set KPIs. Yeah, okay, you just need to make a hundred calls. Yeah, and I hundred calls, three opportunities in your pipeline, and that that's good. But it's generally I'll set those, I'll look at them in my CRM, and then coaching for effectiveness is not as a part, not a part of the formula. Yeah, that's a great question. I think just uh, inherently, people are more outcome oriented in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're watching a sporting event, we see a home run hit or a touchdown scored, we know that's what the desired outcome is, but we have no idea actually about how to go about doing it. We we don't think about the process that leads to the result. We think just about results. And I think that somehow is inherently human to be that way. Mm -hmm. And we get lost in the rest of it that actually leads to the outcome because at some point, all companies have had successful outcomes. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in business. And because they've had successful outcomes, they think they've got it figured out. They think they know how to do it, when in reality, they don't. So when you start off from a position of you think you got this, and our only problem that we have is activity, and we just need to sell more, we need to do more. You know, Paul, you made a comment when you were speaking in Boston that resonated with me. You've got three choices. You can do nothing. You can do more. You can do better. And for a lot of people, they're doing nothing. The people that are trying to get better are trying to do more, but they're doing more of the wrong thing, and therefore, they're not producing better results. And they don't think about doing better because doing better involves change. And change is difficult for people to wrap their head around. They don't inherently like to change. We like things to be the way they are. (laughs) And uh, I think that's why, and that's my theory anyway, uh, on why a lot of companies don't effectively uh, focus on developing mindset and skill set in a better way. They just think about activities, they're only, they're only obstacle. Well, it seems to be like the single greatest leverage point in growing an organization, if I'm, if I'm thinking about it right, right? Do, are you, do you find that? Like when you find that you get a, somebody that can effectively coach a sales team and effectively raise all of their boats, that leverage point is tremendous. Right? Huge, huge. No question about it. I mean, we see with clients that we work with, it's not necessarily about doing more. They've got plenty of activity. Mm-hmm. They just need to do it better. And when they focus on certain components or milestones in the sales process and execute those in a better way, uh, it can have a 400% increase on their conversion rates. And most people don't know how to measure their conversion rates in the right way. They don't have the tools and resources like Membrane uh, to be able to capture that data. And if you don't measure what you're trying to improve, you're probably not going to be able to improve it. So the leverage points within the organization, I think that's a great yeah, those measure being able to measure that. So, what are the the key like thinking about this idea of leverage points? I, I know increasing coaching, right? That's a that's a massive leverage point. So, increasing the quality of coaching across an organization. What are the other critical ones? I mean, I look at I look at things like effectiveness of sales process. 
being able to judge that. I look at uh, what what do you look at in terms of that when you go into an organization? You're saying, okay, there's three or four three or four do- knobs that I can that I yeah, can I tweak. Think, I I think that I think it breaks it breaks down into four things. Number one, okay. most companies don't have a clarity on what their goals are. They have an arbitrary percentage of increase that they want to achieve, but they really haven't developed a strategic plan for how to achieve any type of growth. Um, and why that's important and where it's going to come from. Mm-hmm. And I think once they have good clarity around their goals, which everyone thinks they have, but they really don't, uh, I think the second most important thing is really focusing on the activities that move the needle in the biggest way. And for salespeople, those are pretty easy to isolate. You know, the number of meetings that you get with decision makers, the number of proposals that your company is generating, you got to keep score. I make the analogy all the time. Could you imagine watching a sporting event between two teams where there's no score being kept and being somehow satisfied with the outcome at the end of the game when the time's out? But we do it every day and we do it every day in business. We watch our games be played and we're not keeping score. We're just keeping the result scores. We're not keeping any of the others. And um, that to me is really a big, a big, um, Mindset shift, but a real pivotal point. You got to keep score around the activities that you know are important that support your goals. And finally, you got to have an accountability checkpoint built into your sales management system. You've got to inspect what you expect. And if you don't do it on a regular basis, ideally once a week, you're going to struggle with accountability because you haven't created an environment where accountability is important. And at the end of the day, the things that you talk about, the things that you focus on will become the most important things to your organization. So, you know, having that accountability checkpoint and then once you have evaluated, hey, we're doing the right things. We're doing them often enough, but we're still not getting the results. Now we can figure out who needs what type of coaching. Where are they stuck in their sales process? Are they not getting enough initial contacts made with prospects like I talked about earlier? Mm-hmm. Or are they sucking when they get to the meeting and just throwing up all over their all their all over their potential client and not converting any deals? Uh, or are they skipping steps in their processes? Those are the things that come to life and that you can really focus on. And I think that's too much for most people to wrap their heads around on their own and figure out because you know what I just described to you is what I call the science of selling is being really strategic about those four. Uh, pivotal points of execution. And um, can I go back to the doubt, first one? Yeah. Yeah. I interrupted you, but I, I it's good. Uh, yeah. But you said something there. Why don't people have like clarity around goals? You said something like most people don't have clarity around their goals. Mm. Why, why is that? And how do we fix it? I agree with you. I, I like, I even look at my own personal goals, right? And I'm like, dang, you know. You step back and have some. Really yeah, I think it's just because what, I, th- I think why? it's just because they they number one haven't been ever taught how to develop a strategic uh, sales plan and not just applying an arbitrary percentage to last year's result and saying that's our target. We want to get ten percent better. Well, that's good, but how are you going to do it? Mm-hmm. Where's that growth going to come from? Is it going to come from existing customer share of wallet increase? Is it going to come through uh, new client acquisitions? Have you taken into consideration things such as uh, customer turnover or churn? 
and attrition. And until you have gone through that process of really developing strategic sales goals uh, and articulating those with your team, you haven't done it in the best way. You've just come up with an arbitrary increase. And I tell you, Paul, uh, 25 years working with fortune-sized companies, that's how it was done there too. So if you're a small to medium-sized business and you're feeling a little bit guilty about not going about doing this in a better way, you're not alone. You're not alone. A lot of people don't go about their goal setting in the most uh, effective manner. I, I mean, I look at our, I look at my business that I started back in 2007, right? And it took us like four years to get a handle on goal setting and growth and what was actual. It was before that. It was just grow. You know, <laughs> yeah. oh, what do we want to do? Ah, uh, we want to grow. How do we yeah. want to grow? Sell more. Caveman, <laughs> you know, I mean, Girl, sell more. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I'm not sure we ended up getting pretty sophisticated and it really helped, it helped us. It helped me be able to develop my mentality around it. But that seems to be a, like, that is the first of your four points. And it is, it's like, can't, we try and skip that all the time. We do. Like, we we try and we try and get by without, and I, I say we as the collective royal we in in business management and sales, but uh, we do we we try and jump jump over that a whole lot. And um, how do you bring somebody back? Like, what are some of the first things you do in setting those strategic goals? Yeah, you know, I think just taking a look at asking some really tough questions uh, about you know how much of your revenue that you had last year, can you reasonably expect to renew this year? Getting into that initial conversation, um, because most people don't have a finger on their pulse about how much of repeat business they're getting and where it's gonna come from, Mm -hmm. to be able to determine where the balance needs to arrive in from existing customer growth or new customer growth, because those are the only two places other than Companies that are maybe introducing a new product or a service that could create new revenue streams. Those are three. Um, and getting clarity around that, that would be the first thing I would encourage anybody to take a look at. Yep. So I, I thank you for outlining those. The four, just to make sure that I get it and repeat it, clarity around goals, focusing on activities that uh, move the needle. Like what are the, So essentially, what are the KPIs and the activities that move the needle, have accountability checkpoints, and then coach, 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 coach. Yeah. Did I get it yeah. right? You, you nailed it. Absolutely. I took notes. Well, you're you're a student of the game, Paul. You're being <laughs> modest. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that really highly clarifies. I mean, to me, it's it's an easy, hard thing to do, easy formula, though, right? And, and I think mm. those two things... Uh, when you can build a simple formula that's actually really hard to do, but provides a lot of provides a lot of impact for somebody, you're moving the needle. Um, so, after years in the game with Salesstar and and uh, and really in years of the game of sales, what are some of the things that you're seeing right now in B2B sales that are that are helping people? I don't know what are what are some of the things that you're seeing that are helping people move the needle. Um, in the biggest ways, besides, I guess, besides those four. Well, I think the the ability to execute on all four of those components is huge. 
Uh, and I'm going to, you know, give some praise to Membrane here on this call for a minute. You know, the ability to keep score and track opportunities in the most efficient way that supports ideal behaviors being formed. Yeah, that's pretty big. You know, a tool does not make a, a person a craftsman, though. Mm -hmm. You just can't go out there and buy shiny objects and tools and technology and, and transform your sales team. Because it takes a tremendous amount of support, a tremendous amount of coaching. And, you know, you can look at your salespeople today as apprentices. And you can go out and buy the best set of tools for them that money will buy. And they're still not going to be great. Mm -hmm. But I think combining that tools and resources with a supportive environment that encourages failure and as a part of growth. And embracing that mindset that we're not all going to be perfect and we're not always going to do things the right way. I, I think that's huge. And uh, developing a process or a culture. Um, we call it Kaizen. I think it's an Asian term for continuous improvement. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't have that mindset in your business, chances are you're getting worse and worse every year. Because you have to work really, really stinking hard in any industry to continue to compete and earn the right to win business from your clients every year. Because if you're not, I guarantee you someone is. Yep. Yeah. So those I, are the elements that I think are most inherently important. And you have to be committed to those things in a big way. I think uh, I've seen, and we had this talk earlier, so this isn't a surprise to you, but it's, it's essentially, I think, companies that finally are, they're looking at the whole package. They're looking at the training, the technology, and the talent that they're bringing in. And they're seeing that as one instead of seeing, seeing it as, hey, I, I can help my sales team just throw another app on top of this. Just get them another prospecting app. That's all they need. Or just, just throw, you know, just, we're fine. Just send out, we're sending out 10,000 emails, send out 100,000 emails, we'll be fine. The companies that I'm seeing actually move the needle, and this has nothing to, I mean, this is irregardless of membrane and what we do together, is is the the ones that I'm seeing that are moving the needle are are really diving in and looking at the the intersection of those three things, talent training and technology. Like, okay, I need to need to be able to hire the best people and not have a revolving door, right? I need to train them continually on methodologies that work and coach them and and work with teams like SalesStar. And I need to actually tie that to something that makes this sticky. It can't just be go fill out your 19 fields in Salesforce and here's your here's your prospect tool and here's this. It's got to be something that actually ties that all together. Um, and those are the companies like that are actually set up for durability, right? They're not, it's it's not scale at all costs, it's durable, durable growth. Um and so the work you're doing in that regard is absolutely fabulous. I, I, I love partnering with you. I think it's it's uh, helpful to so many. Um, as we wrap up here, so this is uh, this is the Frank Niekamp. What any the Frank Niekamp last thoughts on sales? So if you were president of the sales industry for a day, or for a week, or uh, and and had a had a magic wand, what would Frank Niekamp do? for everybody in sales to, to help them sell more effectively? 
Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I don't think there's one thing, but I will take a shot at just providing an additional insight that we didn't talk about, or maybe we didn't go as deep on. It's okay to fail, man. It's okay. And the best baseball players that ended up in the Hall of Fame fail more than they were successful. And I think taking a performance uh, mindset like an athlete has to the industry of selling is the most healthy thing that we can cultivate and nurture in, in the mindset of people today. Embrace failure as a part of the process. And if you can do that, you can continually try to get better and measure your stats like an athlete does. Gosh, the stats that athletes track today, whether it's in the game of golf, baseball, football, whatever, is amazing. They're more serious about their craft than what most salespeople are. Mm-hmm. And one, one of my good friends and business partners, Paul Donahue, has a saying, is that when you're casual about sales, you become a casualty. You cannot be casual about this industry and just think that you can go out there and wing it and make calls and build relationships and have that translate automatically into uh, the results you're looking for. You can't be that casual. Will you watch people on TV on the weekend, watch how they go about their business and how meticulous they are to tracking details and activity and metrics. It's amazing. That is awesome. I, uh, I think we got to steal that one from Paul and just say that all the time when you're casual about sales, you become a casualty. I actually was walking out and you know, you know, Nick. So uh, Nick is one of the the members of our team, but Nick and I had a, a chance. We met before um, we had a, a client call today or a prospect call. And we met before at a coffee shop and we prepped for an hour, like an hour and a half. Right. And we coached and we talked and we did everything. And we walked out of that. Uh, this speaks to speaks to your we we walked out of that coffee shop and we're like damn this is fun like we were so pumped and it was like i was trying to figure out why i was like you know what we are professionals we're we're at the top of our freaking game let's make this happen and i don't it didn't it, we went in because we had prepared it didn't matter if we failed in the call like if we won or lost or anything like that i was just so pumped that we got in there and worked our tails off to try and get better. Right. Awesome. And we were prepping for this call. And it was like, that is an awesome, awesome, awesome. If you are not, if you're casual about sales, you will become a casualty. That is fantastic. That's right. In, in mastery, which is what you're describing, the mastery of your craft that you and Nick are exhibiting is, is one of the key drivers that, uh, motivates the hell out of people today that most people don't tap into. They, they're they scratching their head. What's it going to take to motivate my team? Do I need to change the comp plan or something like that? No, you just need to help them become really badass salespeople because that's what's going to attract and retain top performers. Top performers don't want to be around mediocre environments. And if you yes. want to attract and retain the best people, create an environment where success is the expectation. And becoming the best in the industry. And if you don't have that, good luck. Uh, Someone else is going to take it. Somebody else will do that. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry if I cussed on your program here, Paul. It's all right. You're allowed to say, you're allowed to say ass. Was that what you said? (laughs) I like like people who want to become badass at whatever (laughs) they do. (laughs) Yes. No, it's absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, 
going all the way back to the beginning of how we started this program with the definition of sales and being able to, you know, it's about leading, it's about service, but being able to do that, you can't be a leader or server servant without grace and grace for yourself and being able to learn and fail, right? So you you have to get in there and take swings. You have to. And uh, and man, that's just, it's great advice. I think if you could tell that to coaches to go in and just say, hey, yes, your team, you don't, you put the pressure on them for the, for the activity to be themselves and to be the best, but you don't, you know, if they fail, they fail. It's okay. We can lift up. It's forward. My daughter uh, told me it was, it was fail meant forward, always in learning. So, nice. I love that acronym. So that was her. That was her. Well, dude, it's been, it's been amazing. I, I've, uh, I really had a blast. Uh, can I have you back on sometime? Oh, I'd love to be here with you, man, whether it's in person or on a Zoom call. It's always a, it's always a pleasure speaking with you as well. All right. Well, let's make it happen. Hey, everybody, thank you so much. Uh, last thing, how can, uh, before I say thank you so much, how can people find Frank Kemp uh, if they want to talk to you about after this? Great question. Sales star is spelled with two S's in the middle. www.salesstar.com is where you're going to find all of our team. And if you want to email me or reach me directly, it's frank.neekamp, N-I-E, camp with a K, at salesstar.com. Awesome. And with that, thank you so much, Frank. We'll have you back on. And I appreciate uh, uh, all the time. We'll sign off for today from the Art and Science of Complex Sales. Have a blessed evening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying enough is enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering, and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.